everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove will be back with me tomorrow. He's out gallivanting around Virginia with some friends of his from England. And when I say gallivanting, I, of course, mean carefully and calmly recuperating in the most responsible way possible. At least I hope that's the case. Uh, instead of Daryl, uh, I've called up Graham Ruthven of The Guardian and Eurosport. Graham has been on the show uh, several times. It's always nice to have him on, and he's here to help me make sense of a fairly confusing La Liga table. Madrid are in crisis, even though they're in second. Barcelona are in somewhat less of a crisis, despite being uh, even further back, though they were winning at time of recording, so maybe that helps a little bit. Still off to a horrendous start, though. Uh, We take a look at all that has happened in the league so far, including some of the surprising teams that are near the top and how Graham thinks it all might play out, uh, as well as some managers who could be on the hot seat, who could be gone before the end of the season, managers who may stay for the duration. And at the very end, we even get into a little conversation about uh, Iron Front versus Major League Soccer and all that's happened there. So without further ado, uh, Graham, thank you so much for returning to the show. No problem at all. It's always fun to be on. Oh, that's good. I, I, I always like it when people start with it's always fun as opposed to like, it, it's okay to be here or something like that. I don't think we've ever gotten that one, but I appreciate that it's fun. Uh, I have lots of La Liga questions for you, but I want to start uh, in an obvious spot. I would like you to explain to me why people in the UK dislike James Corden to such an extent. <laughs> well, James Corden, uh, yeah, he definitely splits opinion. I would, I would, I would say there is actually uh, um, quite a, a large number of people who do like James Corden. Mm-hmm. He did a show over here called Gavin and Stacey, which was very popular. Um, it wasn't to my taste. Uh, there's a weird d- divide going on between Scotland and England. So I'm, I'm Scottish, and mm-hmm. and it never really caught on in Scotland. And yet in England, it was huge. But then after that, he did a load of kind of really bad films or really really bad tv shows kind of like a, an early career will ferrell slide mm-hmm. um and then he's gone over to america to do his whole chat show thing and actually do you know what he is better at the chat show thing but we don't get that on our on british tv so british people still you know we have we have an opinion of him that's that's from about five years ago so uh yeah oh, right. but despite everything despite everything there you you can you can just keep them that, that we give you that one you know and and if you want to take Piers Morgan back as well, you no. know, that, that, that's fine with us. <laughs> <laughs> James Corden seems okay. I don't mind carpool karaoke, but it does feel like so many people. I see that sentiment a lot from uh, people in the UK, so I was curious. But no, you all are more than welcome to keep Piers Morgan. Um, and with that said, we should probably talk La Liga <laughs> and move away from that one. Uh, I wanted to start at the top of the table. That's usually what we do, and it usually means we're talking Barcelona or Real Madrid. This time, it means we're talking uh, Athletic Club. How have they managed to claim the top spot through the first five games? Yeah, I mean they've they've kind of flown under under the under the the radar a little bit. Athletic Club. I mean they shouldn't have because their first game of the season was obviously at home to to Barcelona. They they won that game one uh, 0 and and uh, Aritz Adaris came on off the bench and with his first touch, literally his first touch within about twenty seconds, he mm-hmm. he'd scored a spectacular overhead kick winner in stoppage oh, yeah. time to beat the the reigning right, champions. Right. So. So since then, that was really a bit of a springboard. And I don't think I watched that game and thought we're watching a real team here. I mean, Athletic Club always have, um, you know, they're one of these teams that are a bit like Valencia. Even when Valencia are doing poorly, they've still got good players. And Athletic Club are, are kind of like that. I mean, Ikar Munayin, uh, Adarith, Naki Williams, who's been fantastic. He's actually been one of the, the key players over the start of the season. If you're asking me how have they made top spot their own, well, and Aki Williams, I think, is 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 really kind of come into his own. He's he's playing more kind of through the middle now as a central striker. Either Reese is is no longer the, the main man, so that's kind of freed him up a little bit, giving him a, a, a bit more of freedom. 
Um, but they've really just used that result as, as, as a bit of a springboard. I mean, they're, they're, just, they're just looking quite a solid team. I mean, if you look through the results, other than that Barcelona game, none of their results have been spectacular. But, you know, they beat Alaves at the weekend. They drew away to Mallorca, which is a, a difficult play to, place to go, even though they're just a, a promoted team. They beat, uh, obviously, their, their Basque rival Sociedad 2-0. So there's no big win, like big... They've not racked up the goals or anything, but they're, they're just... they're they're just solid you know they're they're getting these 2-0 1-0 wins and and you know I think this season has turned into into a bit of an opportunity I don't know whether we're going to talk about Sevilla as well but mm-hmm. Sevilla uh, Athletic Club I mean we've even got Granada up there at the moment and um, with the, the big three starting quite poorly there's an opportunity there for someone to to kind of I know I know Hitafe broke the or came close to breaking the the top four last season um, but there's really a chance for, I'd say, Athletic Club or, or Sevilla to to actually challenge for the title. I mean, that, that's 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 there for them. And and while I think we're a long way away from that happening, there is a chance there for them. Um, and Athletic Club have, been, have made a great start. Uh, and Athletic Club uh, do have like the the Basque only policy. So if they need to like reinforce in January if they want to keep the the like, kind of momentum going, is that a thing that they can do with some level of ease, or is it more about like promoting young players to kind of fill the ranks and hope that they're able to perform? Well, I mean, it's not easy for them. I think they're actually one of the they de- definitely deserve a lot more credit for the, even just staying in La Liga. The fact that they they, they can only sign Basque players. Um, they, they, it's really about young players. I mean, they don't sign many, many mm-hmm. players. The, the one difference was um, Inigo Martinez uh, a couple of years ago, who was who um, obviously Amerit Laporte was was uh, was at uh, Valbao and he went to City, and then they were able to to sign him um, from Sociedad. So Sociedad is a team that you can obviously because they're they're Basque as well, so that you can sign players from them. Um, I suppose Ibar, you could sign players from them. There's there's areas of, of France that weirdly kind of fall into into the, the Basque country. It's not all Spain, so that's how Laporte was able to play for them um, despite being French. So, you know, there is a little bit of a catchment area, but no, they're not one of these teams that can go out because of the, this policy. They can't go out and, and spend £50 million on a player, and that's what makes it all the more remarkable that, that, that they're up there. But the flip side of that, of course, is, you know, they're maybe able to keep the Basque country is 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 rich with with football talent, um, and whereas in an ordinary ordinary situation that that the the country the counties uh, the, sorry the regions best players would go to a Real Madrid or a Barcelona at a young age, they're able to keep hold of the the region's best players because they've got this policy of well you're going to get a game with Athletic Club you know you're going to get into the first team so there is a benefit but I'd say the negative of it uh, you know far outweighs it and makes it much more difficult for them but you have to applaud I mean you have to applaud that 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 whole that whole uh, strategy I mean it's great that the roots that they have in that in that local area it must be fantastic to be an Athletic Club fan especially when they're doing well as they are at the moment. Makes sense. Uh, so we can applaud Athletic Club. Uh, I think we should probably also applaud Granada, as you mentioned. Uh, they were promoted after finishing second in the Segunda División, I believe, last season. Now they're third in La Liga. They got the 2-0 win at home against Barcelona this past weekend. What has been sort of the story of their season so far, aside from the fact that they're in uh, European places right now? How have they been able to get to this position? They're just a very difficult team to play against. I, I actually hadn't watched them before... Um, oh no! Wait, I think I might have caught some of their game against Sevilla, which they actually lost that game. Um, but they, 
I, I, that was the first time I've watched them for full 90 minutes at the weekend against Barcelona. And that was not a fluke. That 2-0 win was, was, was deserved. They were the better team. I can't say that they played particularly stylish football. Um, they were they were a little bit agricultural at times. Roberto Soldado was was really dueling with with Gerard Piquet, and Soldado was kind of taken off before he could be sent off. So they they do they do they do walk that tightrope a few uh, a, a little bit. You know they they are um, they're a little bit they've got a little bit of a nasty streak, but I think that's not a bad thing if you're a promoted team. And they they just. Uh, Barcelona didn't have have an answer for. It. I mean, even when Messi and, and Ansu Fati came off the bench at, at half time, Granada were still the the ones dictating play. They didn't always have the possession, but you always felt like they were in control of it. And and, and Diego Martinez, the, the manager there, um, you know, has done a, a sensational job. I, I think it's unlikely that they will be staying up even in maybe even the top half. But I think it, they're, they're probably going to stay up in, in the league. I mean, it would take a, a real collapse um, for them and for them to, to lose that position. And, and uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be a very difficult team to play against. I mean, in recent years, we've had, obviously, Hitafe last season were, were very difficult to play against. Uh, Leganes, Levante, they've all had these periods of, of, of being really difficult to play against. And I think uh, Granada are, are probably going to be in that category of, yeah, you're probably not going to watch them for spectacular football, for for highlight real moments, but they are going to be competitive against everyone, literally everyone in that league. That's not going to be an easy place to go or an easy team to face. And they showed that at the weekend against the defending champions. We still expect Granada to drop, as you said. Uh, so between uh, Sociedad and Sevilla, which of those two do you think will stay higher up in the table? Sevilla. I th- I'm really impressed with I know they lost it at the weekend. That's their first really disappointing result of the season but the fact that they're disappointed with a defeat against Real Madrid probably tells you how far Sevilla have 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 come in in, in a very short space of time under uh, Julian Lopetegui who of course comes laden with narrative after what happened yeah. last year I mean to the, 2018 is is not a year that I think Lopetegui is going to remember too fondly given how that uh, panned out for him of course getting sacked on the eve of the, the World Cup uh, as Spain manager and then getting appointed at Real Madrid. And from the moment he pitched up at Real Madrid, he looked like a dead man walking. And so it proved he was gone within a couple of months, not really given a chance. But he already in the two, three months that he's been at Sevilla, he's he's proven himself as, as, as a very good coach. Um, different kind of um, team to last year's Sevilla's team. He likes to play very quickly through transitions. So they've brought in a, the Ocampos has has been had made a, a great start to the season. He actually played really well against Real Madrid at the weekend. Um, I think uh, Regulon at re, uh, left back is obviously he's on loan from from Real Madrid. He's he's made a good start as well. Uh, Ever Benega looks as influential as ever in, in that midfield and the, and the kind of quick transition play suits him. A lot. I think if there's one question against Sevilla, it's up front. Um, you know, last season they had uh, Ben Yedder, who who had an excellent season, very proven proven goal scorer in La Liga. This year they've got Luke de Jong, um, who is a proven goal scorer in in Holland. And I, I heard a stat I heard of ahead of the game on uh, Sunday against Real Madrid. I think he's got something clo- something close to maybe 200 goals over the course of his career. But only six of them have come outside Holland, which is is not particularly encouraging. And actually, against against Real Madrid, he was poor, to be quite frank. He 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 wasn't making the runs that his teammates were were playing balls into. He he didn't look in sync with that team. And 
I think actually, if I were to make a prediction, I think he'll probably fall out of that 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 first team, and and Yavi Hernandez will become that that centre forward for Sevilla. But there's questions against him as well. I mean, he's not exactly had the best two three years, so I think that's maybe where they could fall down. But the rest of the team is is looking really good, and as I said, kind of at the top of our chat, I think there's a chance for someone outside the big three to to really make a run this year. And Sevilla, along with the Athletic Club, are, are, are probably the two that I would pick and, and I, out of those two I'd probably edge towards Sevilla as well despite their defeat to Real Madrid on, on Sunday Could they just tell Luke de Jong that he's like playing against Dutch opposition and just lie to him would that work? Yeah I mean you, you could get uh, players in, in, in blonde wigs There we and, go <laughs> uh, you know, and, and clogs not that, not that we're uh, you know going to any uh, national stereotypes here or anything <laughs> I forgot about the clog stereotype that's that's just terrific work by you that's why you're the expert um, alright let's talk about the other uh, kind of like the bigger three uh, Real Madrid currently second in the table on goal difference uh, and yet that has not stopped people from freaking out uh, the three no loss to PSG in the Champions League obviously did not help there have been rumors that Zidane is in trouble that Mourinho could be back how are things at Real Madrid Graham? Oh, where's to begin? Where's to begin? Um, yeah, you're you're right to point out they are joint top of La Liga at the moment. However, rather than that being an illustration of all being well at Real Madrid, I think it's an illustration of how nuts the start of La Liga has been, and also Atletico Madrid and Barcelona having their own struggles as well. Um, it, it's strange because obviously Real Madrid are ahead of the, the two teams I mentioned there. They're two rivals, and of of the three managers, I'd say Zidane is under the most pressure. I think he's probably the most likely. To be sacked. Part of that is, I think, rumblings have 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 been uh, can be traced back all the way to the start of the summer, or sorry, more towards the end of the summer, if I'm actually being more more accurate. And um, when it when it seemed like he wasn't going to get Paul Pogba or Christian Eriksen, he wanted another midfielder, and and he's seemingly quite unhappy. And I think you can see that manifesting itself in in, in the performances on the pitch. I mean, Real Madrid. I can't really think. Maybe the opening game against Celta Vigo. I think they, pl- yeah, they played Celta Vigo in the in the first game. They they won away from home, and Celta Vigo is quite a difficult place to go somewhere. Real Madrid haven't done so well recently. Other than that, you know, a home draw against Valladolid, a away draw against uh, Villarreal, which was uh, I think that was very nearly a defeat. Gareth Bale, I, I, from my memory, sorry, I'm trying to recall. I think he scored a late equaliser, so that was almost a defeat. Then. They were cruising against Levante in a game. They were, I think, 3-0 up. Then they, they conceded two and, and ended up holding on at home. And then this, the the win against Sevilla is maybe, along with the Celta Vigo, Celta Vigo game, their, their most impressive um, result. And, and the Bernabeu has really become quite a difficult place for, for them to play. I mean, it, it, it's, their away form has, has been better recently. So... I don't think Real Madrid are in a particularly good way. There's a lot of pressure on Eden Hazard to perform immediately, and I don't think he looks fit, um, both in terms of his his actual, you know, his injury, and also um, without being too harsh on the guy, I think he's the kind of player who who needs to be playing every week to maintain his his uh, physical shape, shall we put it that way? I think he's <laughs> he's not exactly in 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 tip top shape that way, so. There's a lot of pressure on him. Luka Jovic, who was a big signing from uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, he's, I don't, he doesn't have a place in this team. He's on the bench. He's coming on for 10 minutes. He's not really doing all that much. Ferlan Mendy has looked sus- suspect at left back. I mean, so, and the midfield looks tired and, and, and weary as well. I think Modric has been slightly better than last season, but Casemiro looks out of sorts. Tony Kroos doesn't really look his, his usual self. So the questions uh, from last season... 
kind of remain. And I, I think Jose Mourinho is, is obviously the name that everyone mentions as possibly coming in to replace Zidane. That was that goes back to when Zidane was was appointed the second time in uh, when was it February or March. I think a lot of people thought Mourinho was going to get that job. He's stuck around. I actually think the one that would be more likely at this point of the season would be Xavi Alonso, um, who I believe is working uh, as a coach at, uh, at Real Sociedad. Um, he's kind of been mentioned as as a, as a potential um, person who could parachute into halfway through a season to stabilise things. But I mean, is that any different to what they did last season when they sacked Lopetegui at this time of year and then got Santi Solari in? So... I just think it, it just seems like a Groundhog Day for, for Real Madrid. This, this season is panning out quite similar to how last season panned out. And we all saw what happened last season. They had a, a dreadful season. So that second place in La Liga at the moment, I don't think is a reflection of, of Real Madrid, but rather how nuts La Liga has been so far. Hey folks, Taylor jumping in for just a moment. Uh, much more still to come from my conversation with Graham Ruthven. Uh, but first, I wanted to let you know that today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Hims, a new wellness brand for men. Uh, Hims would like you to know that 66% of men start to lose their hair by the age of 35. Uh, for Zinedine Zidane, I believe that was closer to the age of 14. I'm going to guess that's when it started to thin. Uh, and when it does start to thin, it can be too late. Uh, and that's why you want to start taking proactive measures as soon as you can. That's where For Him steps in. They're a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care and sexual wellness for men. So look, you could go the Diego Simeone route. I'm assuming the way he has kept his hair is by screaming at it and staring at it with an extreme intensity that makes it like completely terrified to even try to fall out. Instead, it just makes it even thicker because it won't go and it just stays there forever. You can go that route, but you've got to have that intensity. That requires a lot. You could go the Zinedine Zidane route of do nothing, let it fade, keep the one little patch in your forehead, and then eventually shave it all off and go that route. It works for some. It doesn't work for others. Uh, I'm hoping it will work for me one day if I need it to, but I'm also hoping that when I need it to, hymns will work for me because they have made the process of dealing with hair loss so much easier. You're dealing with licensed physicians and FDA-approved products to help treat hair loss. No snake oil pills, no gas station counter supplements, no Diego Simeone screaming in your face and making your hair frightened, although that would be kind of fun. Uh, It was created by a guy who knows men's health conversations are easier online than in person. So that means no more awkward doctor visits. Uh, You don't have the long waits. You don't have to stand at the pharmacy and pretend like you're not buying hair loss pills uh, because I guess there's a stigma about that for some reason, even though, as I've already said, 66% of men lose their hair by the age of 35. So if you are in that 66% or you are concerned that maybe you will be soon, uh, you can get started with Hims Complete Hair Kit for just $5 today right now while supplies last and subject to doctor's approval. You should see the website for full details and safety information. This could cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy somewhere else. Uh, so go to forhims.com slash total soccer. That's F O R H I M S dot com slash total soccer. One more time, forhims.com slash total soccer uh, to get the complete hair kit for just $5 today, right now. Uh, thank you very much to Forhims for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. Now back to Mr. Graham Ruthven not talking about Diego Simeone screaming at your face. I do think Chabi Alonso is one of the top five most handsome men in the world. So at least they would have that on the touchline, which would maybe help them out a little bit in terms of, you know, like the overall marketability. Uh, but I, I wanted to go back to like a couple questions or like I had a couple questions from what you said, starting with uh, Zidane not getting the players that maybe he had expected. And there was this idea with him returning that it was like, oh, now he kind of has complete control. He's going to get whatever he wants. They're going to buy him anyone and everyone. That really hasn't been the case. And do you feel... Like, first of all, do you feel like that was kind of the idea coming in with him returning? And second of all, if so, 
does it seem like that right there has sort of laid the groundwork for things not to work? If he's not getting what he wants and was promised that he would upon second, like second stint, doesn't that sort of make it automatically a difficult environment? Yes, precisely, and that's the that's the main reason I think Zidane is um, in such a has had his mood darkened this season. Is when you're right to point out when he came back to the club. So sorry, just to, to go further back, mm-hmm. he when he left Real Madrid the first time, it was over this idea that Real Madrid needed a complete overhaul of the squad, and he uh, probably had got wind that Cristiano Ronaldo was going to leave, and he'd, he'd gone to Florentino Perez and said, "I need back to re- rebuild this team." And Florentino Perez, um, in his stubborn ways, had said, "Well, no, we're the Champions League winners. We've literally just we're European, European champions. We've just won the Champions League, and we saw how that worked out." So when Zidane was lured back to the club it was on this promise that okay see all the the freedom you wanted to mold this team in the way you wanted the first time round you will have that this time and the early signs were positive i mean let's not forget real madrid did spend around 300 million euros in, in the summer they were probably bet- between them and atletico madrid i'd need to look at the specific numbers but between them and atletico madrid for the biggest spending team in european football but i think that just illustrates how much work Real Madrid had to do. I mean, they'd, they'd gone two or three years in the transfer window without making really a big signing. I mean, if you go back, I, I'm ignoring Thibaut uh, Courtois, an outfield player. Um, you know, you're talking maybe James Rodriguez in, in 2014 as their last kind of big signing before this summer. So that's a long time to go without making, uh, you know, significant signings. And I think he got a lot of the players in that he did want. Um, you know the big one, obviously, being Hazard. I mean that he's he's the he's the player that Real Madrid are still hoping will turn things around. And there are signs of a, of a partnership with Benzema, and Benzema's kind of been carrying Real Madrid for a while. So the idea is maybe those two will will be the new Ronaldo Benzema partnership. Um, but the midfield was was really neglected. Zidane um, has his biggest gripe is that. He wanted a Pogba. He wanted a Christian Eriksen laterally in the window. He wanted a, a Donny uh, van de Beek from uh, Ajax. And none of these players came in because Real Madrid didn't seem to be willing to pay the money or, or weren't able to pay the money. So I think, I don't know, Zidane, Zidane is very, he's very strong-willed. Um, he sticks to his guns on what he believes, as demonstrated by the fact that he resigned the first time. He 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 wasn't ready to accept what Perez was offering him, and so it's very difficult. You're almost tempted to say, "Come on, Zidane, snap out of it and just get on with the job." But it, he knows what he wants, and it's very difficult to persuade him otherwise. And I think with the transfer window shut until January, and it doesn't look like they'll get Pogba or anyone in January either. The season's not looking good, and if you were asking me to to predict whether he will finish the season, I would say probably not, and I would say it's it's unlikely he will even get to Christmas. I think there will be a new Real Madrid manager by Christmas, and I wouldn't rule out him resigning as he did the first time. I don't even think necessarily it will be through him being sacked. That is kind of crazy to me. Like it makes sense given everything you've said and everything that's been covered, but it's still it just seemed to me like okay, he's coming back in. He won the three uh, Champions League titles in a row. Like this is a guy who's going to be able to kind of oversee this rebuild and kind of bring them back to their strongest point. And now here we are, and I find that so surprising. And I think it would maybe be more focused on if Barcelona weren't also struggling. Uh, you said that you expect Zidane mm-hmm. to go maybe before Christmas potentially. Do you think Ernesto Valverde sees out this season, uh, or, or are you kind of hearing some things that maybe he's on the hot seat as well? 
He's certainly on the hot seat. Um, he's been on the hot seat since that <laughs> collapse against Liverpool at, yeah. at Anfield, um, which has now usurped the collapse at Roma the season before as the kind of nadir of, of his, his time at Barcelona. I think that was the time to make a change, actually. not Sorry, not the Roma game, the Liverpool game. I think that after that, you get to the end of that season, I think that was probably the time to, to make a change. Um, back-to-back titles kind of earned... Um, one last shot to prove that he could turn around the negativity. And I think that's the most important thing to to understand about the situation Barcelona are in. They clearly have excellent players. They have brilliant young players. I mean, they've just signed uh, Frankie de Jong, 16-year-old Ansu Fati's coming through. Usman Dembele is, is for, for me, still one of the best young players in Europe. They have great players all through that team. Um, it's just the negativity has been very, very difficult to shift. And it seems like Valverde is in that cycle that managers sometimes get into where I can't see him ever escaping it. I can't ever see him escaping it in, in, in a year's time going, oh, remember that time Ernesto Valverde was, was, was a hated man, you know, was a, was, was a figure of, of hate. Um, I don't see that ever happening. However, I also don't see Barcelona making a change halfway through a season. I mean, if you go back through the manager, managerial appointments they have made... Um, I'm kind of going off the top of my head here, so I could be wrong. But just off the top of my head, I think it would, you'd have to go back to maybe like Louis van Gaal, his second spell to, to, for, a, for an instance where Barcelona have, have uh, appointed a manager halfway through a season. They're very much about giving the manager the time of the summer to mould the team. And, and I, I just think they will do the same again because while things are looking quite bad at Barcelona, there is a little bit of context in that well, the rest of the teams around them have also struggled and they've played the first few weeks of the season without Lionel Messi. And, and Lionel Messi is obviously the best player in the world and arguably the greatest player of all time. But he's even more important to Barcelona than that, if that's possible. I mean, they, they just don't play well when Lionel Messi is, is not in that team, um, which is a problem in itself. But now that he's getting back to fitness, I think you'll start to see better performances. I think Valverde will make it to the end of the season you know what they might even finish as champions that's how kind of crazy this whole situation is but I, I would be very surprised if Valverde is there for the start of next season so Lionel Messi's absence aside is there anything that you think Ernesto Valverde is getting wrong in his tactics or his player selections that is making maybe fans like turned off a little bit or isn't sort of rallying people around him and bringing out the kind of positivity that you would expect from a Barcelona team I think uh, well one of one of the issues Barcelona players have with Valverde uh, sorry well the players might have this issue with him but I meant to say Fender, is that um, you know he doesn't play that the 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 tiki taka uh, you know possession based football they obviously have more of the ball than their opponents but they it's it's much more kind of traditional and orthodox in their approach Barcelona I think he makes he makes a number of strange decisions Valverde he's always been poor with his substitutions I mean I can't think of a manager at the top of the European game who is who is poorer at, at changing a game and if, if anything his subs have a have a detrimental effect the number of times I've seen him make subs in Barcelona get poorer after he's changed the players on on the pitch and um, so that's a real weakness in terms of player selection um, I think there has to be questions against Luis Suarez at the moment there were questions over him last season I think he is probably coming to the end of his cycle. I mean, he's a player who is, is all his game has always been based on movement and and relentless energy, and and he's now you know well into his thirties now, and and he injuries are becoming a problem. And even when he's fit, 
He um, you know, doesn't seem to move the same way. His finishing has been off. But yet Valverde still seems to see him as the central striker um, rather than Antoine Griezmann, who Antoine Griezmann, when he has played in the central striker, because Suarez has been injured for was injured for maybe two three games, and Griezmann actually did quite well in those games as as the central striker. But you see that game against Granada at the weekend, and Suarez is back into the team, and Griezmann is stuck out on the left where he can have no no real influence on the game. I mean, that's not really a position of. I've really ever seen Antoine Griezmann play as out as out on the left. I mean, he he either plays behind a central striker or he plays as the central striker, and that's surely what Barcelona bought him for. I mean, I thought part of the reason Barcelona bought Griezmann was to give them a way of playing without Lionel Messi. So when Lionel Messi needs to be rested or when he's injured, that Griezmann would kind of step in and be that central figure. So it makes no sense to me that when Messi is out, Suarez is getting used in that position. And Suarez takes a little while to. I think it was a uh, Ferguson used to say about Wayne Rooney that Wayne Rooney needed like two months after an injury to get back up to speed. And I think Suarez is a similar sort of player. So even when he is inverted commas fit, he's not really at, at, at the top of his game. And and I think Suarez needs to be phased out of that team a little bit. He's been a fantastic player for Barcelona. I'm not saying he doesn't have worth in that squad. I think he probably still finishes the season with 15 goals. But he, he can't be that, the central striker for that team anymore. I think there needs to be a transition there. So those are, those are the, the kind of player selection issues um, that I would raise. But primarily, it's, it's just about the mood of, of the place. And I do feel a little bit sorry for Valverde because he doesn't say a lot wrong. It's not, it's not, it's not a Mourinho end-of-days scenario where you know, he just wants the world to burn and um, you know, he's saying all the wrong things. It's more that he doesn't say the right things. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that might be a harsh um, criticism of him because, as I say, he's not really doing anything wrong with what he says, but he's not lifting that club. And it's, it's that air of negativity that they need to kind of get rid of with a new era, with a new manager, with a new approach. And, and I just don't see how he can turn that around. Um, well, speaking of a new approach, uh, last time you were on the show, uh, we talked about Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone kind of trying to change the sort of uh, standard way that Atleti play. Uh, they are currently outside of the Champions League places as well, which is a new spot for them. Does that sort of uh, intention to change their style explain why they've dropped some points so far? Yes, I think it does. It's been a very strange start to the season for for Atletico Madrid. As as we last um, spoke about and as you referenced there, the whole idea was that they would would change their style of play. Simeone, it's no secret, Simeone has spoken about that. They can't be the underdogs anymore when they're they're spending 150 million euros in the transfer market. They're playing in a a shimmering state-of-the-art stadium that hosted the Champions League final last season. So the, the whole identity of the club needs an overhaul. And so all the business in the summer was about finding the players that could implement that new style. Um, there have been signs of it. I think there were signs of it. There was a game against Ibar early in the season. They won 3-2. Three, uh, there was the, the Juventus game in the Champions League. I thought there were signs of that in, uh, signs of it in that game as well because for Atletico Madrid to concede two, goal, two goals at, at home in a big game um, is, is kind of unheard of. So to draw that game 2-2 and fight back from 2-0 down, that was kind of a, a new Atletico but then we see the game against Celta Vigo at the weekend where they draw 0-0. They, they, I think they won their, the first game of the season. They won 1-0 against Hitafe, I think it was. Um, and there's been another 1-0 win in there as well. And, and they're kind of they, 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 they're switching back and forward between grinding out wins in games that they're struggling to create chances in. And then other games 
kind of throwing caution to the wind, but being vulnerable at the back, which is a, is a very unathletic, un- unathletic thing to do and, and, and to be like. So they are stuck between these two identities, which is, is maybe natural. I mean, it's, to, to go from such a distinct identity as, as Simeone has built at that club for the last, what, four years or whatever, five years, to then in the space of a summer try and overhaul that and, and become much more expansive. It was always going to be difficult. And in the end, your ideal scenario is that Atleti become a team that can play in the kind of conservative, well-drilled, well-organized way when they need to, but then also play in an expansive way when, when they need to too. So that's kind of the end game. Um, I don't think they'll ever totally leave behind the Simeone default principles of organization and, and, and conservatism, but um, it's been strange to watch them. I mean, they have had, a number of their players have had good starts to the season. Um, Kieran Trippier, Trippier from uh, you know who joined from Spurs in the summer has has become a key player for them. I mean his his crossing um, is, has become a real weapon for Atletico Madrid in, in in the early part of the season, and he's back in the you know back in the England team now ahead of Trent Alexander Arnold and Aaron Wan Bissaka um, and Kyle Walker. You know he's seen as probably England's again England's best right back at the moment because of what Simeone's done to him. Um, Yao Felix who there was great anticipation and great excitement about him. I think he's lived up to that so far. I think he looks like probably the best teenager in in, in world football at this moment. Um, and he looks like the player that Simeone is already building around in the way that he built around Antoine Griezmann. So I think he's he's been a good signing. Even players like Hermoso, who's come in, Lodi at left back, they look good. So it's difficult. That's why it's difficult for me to 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 judge their season so far because if you look through the players and the players they've signed I go well a lot of them have started well but they're just not translating into results at the moment so it is difficult and I think Simeone will be scratching his head a little bit at what he's what he's seen so far too. Um, so given everything we've talked about so far um, and all the managers we've listed who who is your sort of like favorite manager or who do you think is the strongest manager in La Liga right now? Wow that's <laughs> that's a difficult question. Yeah. Um <laughs> That's why I ask you, and then I sit back. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously the the um, the natural answer, I suppose, for that is despite what the the, the struggles they've had as uh, Simeone. I mean, for he's basically built a club, but right now, I mean, Garitano, uh, guys for Garitano uh, Athletic Club, I think has to get a lot of credit. You know, it's not so long ago that uh, they were in a they were in a bad way, Athletic Club. I mean, they were they were down near the bottom of the table, and and that stadium, the new San Mames, was was empty. That's completely turned around. That stadium, they're you know they're packing out for every home game. They're playing attractive, winning football. You know, and and also everything we talked about, Athletic Club, there about having to bring through. Um, you know, young play- young players because they can't go out in the transfer market. I think has 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 been uh, fantastic. Diego Martinez, we spoke about uh, Granada as well. I would have also last season would have mentioned Marcelino, but Valencia are not exactly uh, in in a good way at the moment. He's he's just been sacked. Very very unpopular decision with uh, Valencia. So we I know we've not talked about Valencia, but. If you want to talk about the fortunes of managers, I think that decision could really cost them, and and they could have a really poor season now. I think they could be down near the in the bottom half of the table. So, um, Spain has always been good for managers. It's it's a little bit of a quirk that at the moment Real Madrid and Barcelona, I would say, are are, are, are probably not um, in a position that they've got great managers. But there's there's great managers outside those those big two. 
All right. And Graham, uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Have you got time for like one more question or do you need to go right now? I know you've got uh, other pressing issues. Okay, perfect. Um, Because uh, moving away from La Liga for a moment, I did want to ask you wrote uh, about MLS and the Iron Front for The Guardian. Uh, I wanted to ask kind of your thoughts on how things have gone in Major League Soccer with uh, with the Iron Front, with MLS, the way it's kind of the reaction that it's been and how the league has responded. What what have you made of, of that whole saga? I think this has turned into a little bit of a crisis for MLS, actually. I think this this didn't need to be... So MLS, you know, I'm not saying MLS is untouchable, but when, when you're talking about um, high-level uh, strategic decisions, this is a league that tends to get things right. And even when they don't get things right, they tend to get their way. Um, and this is, this, is, this is a rare misstep for them. This has, been a, this has been a real misstep for them. I think they've underestimated... Um, or I think they've misjudged their their demographic, and that was part of the, the part of the point of the piece that I wrote for the Guardian was, you know, when I speak to MLS, and and I was in uh, Portland not so long ago for um, for a Timbers game, and and I was I was speaking to some of the league figures, and they, they're always very keen to talk about how they're the 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 face of progressive sports in America, right? So you you, you look at the NFL and rightly or wrongly there are connotations attached to the NFL with with the NHL even with MLB along with the NBA MLS likes to position itself as the the, the you know as the sporting face of of young progressive America and this is this seems to be in direct um, this seems to be against the grain of that identity of that that positioning um, to 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 have this stance on the Iron Front uh, symbol, to have this stance on uh, political demonstrations, and I think, I think I'm not saying that you know there should be absolutely no guidelines. I, I'm not saying I want every MLS stadium to be a political arena. Um, I think that would be quite dangerous, actually. I think I think they've failed to grasp the nuances that come with what is political. So part of the piece that I, that I wrote looked at I think the week before I wrote the piece they had the Philadelphia Union had a military day there was the they they wore military um mm-hmm. warm up jerseys um you also have uh you know there there was a lot of uh um you know gay pride flags and and and, and so on and 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 that's great and I'm I'm not saying that there shouldn't be that but MLS has now put themselves in a position where they need to distinguish what is political and what isn't political, and that is that is an absolute minefield of a situation to be in. And now, because they've created this situation for themselves, they are expected to come up with answers. When re- when really, I think maybe the best way to be about this is 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 to be quite ambiguous. And and they were in that position. They have created this position for themselves. I don't think there were. I I never heard of any complaints. I don't think there were any issues before this new code of this new fad, fan code of conduct came in, mm-hmm. and they've created this issues for themselves. That's the, you know they, they've shot themselves in the foot. It's not. I would have some sympathy if in the current political situation we are in, in in the Western world, really not just in America, if this was something that had arisen. But this this wasn't something that had arisen. This is something that has been that sparked out of what MLS has ignited themselves. So uh, let's. Imagine Don Garber is listening for just a moment, which he's not, obviously. But like, if MLS reached out to you and said, like, how do, how do we solve this? How do we make things better? Like, how do we resolve this? Like, what would you advise Major League Soccer? Is it to just sort of quietly back off? Is it to publicly say, like, never mind, all flags are welcome? Or is it to persist because now they've kind of made their bed? 
Yeah, I mean, again, that's a difficult one, and that's why they pay uh, their PR, <laughs> their PR executives the big bucks. Um, but if you were to ask me, mm-hmm. I, I think I would go down the route of, um, I mean, there's each scenario now has has a has a worst case scenario, mm-hmm. um, and that's not ideal. But I would go down the route of of actually um, just getting rid of that part of the code of conduct and 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 just maybe putting the emphasis onto the clubs rather than a league-wide thing. So, you know, I think there are some clubs, I don't want to make sweeping sweeping generalisations, Mm -hmm. but obviously this has flared up most in in Portland and in Seattle and in the Pacific Northwest where those fan groups are, are, you know, traditionally quite liberal, quite left-leaning. And so you leave that up to the clubs. So if Seattle and Portland want to allow that, then you know that's that's fine if if other clubs want to impose their own kind of stadium regulations because that's what other leagues do i mean i think i think madison square garden has a, has a has a political signage ban and, and and but it's not a league wide thing i think it's i think it's because it's a league wide thing that's that's been the issue but even that has issue it has problems with that solution i don't think that's a, a particularly great solution either if you've got some fans that are allowed to do some things and other fans that are in the same league that are not allowed to do other things i think the best way for mls generally is to say look we're listening and we've taken on the criticism and we have made changes what those changes are are, are it's difficult to know because they, they they have you know worked themselves into this mess and it's going to be very difficult to get out of it well graham i really appreciate that you uh try to avoid sweeping generalizations unless it's about the dutch wearing clogs in which case i'm fine with it uh but graham thank you Absolutely. very much for uh, for taking all the time to make sense of la liga and a little bit of the iron front in major league soccer uh your appearances are always very much appreciated and always very much enjoyed by me because i get to li- like sit back and listen to someone explain all of the intricacies of la liga i very much appreciate that as well <laughs> no problem at all it's always good to be on anytime 